We're back live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. All right, guys. As I mentioned, we get an opportunity to talk about some Chicago Bears. You know, we're going to hear from Ryan Poles and, you know, what his thoughts are on the draft, not only about Jalen Carter, uh, but we're also going to hear from him talking about, you know, what he thinks he can secure at the number nine pick and, you know, what he, what he's looking for ultimately. The draft is only 21 days away. Are you going to Soldier Field? Uh, it'd be, it'd be, it's going to be – could you imagine if the Bears, you know, they get to number nine – and then they trade down. I'm trying to think if the place is going to go crazy. With the number nine pick, the Bears trade their selection. Yeah. Or like, no. It'll be interesting. Either way, <clears throat> um, that's going to be happening shortly. And so right now, let's let's just jump right into it. Let's hear from Ryan Poles because the predicament that he was in initially was holding on to the number one pick. And obviously before everything went down, the combine and people's pro days, he said, I need to be blown away by a quarterback in order for me to select one. So I thought it was awesome when somebody asked him, hey, man, well, when, in fact, did you decide not to draft a quarterback? At what point in the process did you make that decision that you weren't going to be blown away by those, by those guys? Yeah. Did the combine or? Uh, th- that was like kind of the last step for us, you know, with the setup that we had where it was, you know, a little bit – earlier than you might have thought when we first started this whole thing. Um, it always starts with the tape. We watched a lot of tape. We got together as a group in our pre-combine meetings that we have every year. And then we sat down and talked to the guys and kind of put it together and, and then looked at, you know, what the trades, you know, could bring our organization and what's the best route to take to get better now and in the future. And we felt like the trade was the right thing to do. The, 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 right, the correct answer is, from the second I got the number one pick in the draft, I knew I wasn't going to take a quarterback. Come on, you think that Ryan Poles and his scouting department didn't know already that the quarterbacks, listen, they've been scouting these guys for months. Months. Just just off the sheer possibility of having a top five pick. They had to do their due diligence. So when you're when he's saying, like, oh, we decided not to draft, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um Polls also touched on the importance of building your roster, not simply through free agency, but also the draft. Yeah, it's just adding to the core of, of players that we want to win, you know, here with for a long period of time. You know, we have some needs that we got to fill. Um, but again, it's staying disciplined and, and really using the draft board and, and the value system that we have to, to do the right thing in the draft as well. But this continues to set it up, set it up for, you know, this long period. I just I'm trying to take I'm trying to take myself and put myself in a position. Here I am. Let's say it, April 27th is Thursday, right? Is that a Thursday? Yeah, April 27th is a Thursday. That's the first round of the draft. Then the draft continues 28th, 29th. So when I'm sitting May 1st, let's say that May 1st, Monday, May 1st, I'm trying to think of the group of guys that is going to make me feel good. You know, like what? What 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 group of guys is going to make me feel good as a Bears fan? I'm trying to think. First, do I want what does my first round pick look like? Okay, somebody in the trenches. I could live there. And then I'm thinking with, you know, the let's say like 55 and 65 overall. 
where where do I want the Bears to live? Where do you want the Bears to live in those second round picks? Don't tell me best available. Don't best available, Gabe. No, no. Be selfish. Be greedy, like Mark Mark, Mark Grody says. Be greedy. It's pick fifty five and pick sixty five. Where are you at? If number one is in the trenches, is it more trench work for you, Leo? What do you think? In the second round, I could go with somebody at a skill position. Go with someone who can make an impact either on offense or defense, but somebody in skills, whether that's receiver or maybe some, a defensive back. But that's where you can get a little greedy. Try to draft a, someone who could be a starter at one of those top positions in the second round. <sighs> yeah, or 53 and 61 is the 53, 61, 64. That's sexy. I got to be honest. Like I just looked at that right there, and I was like... Whew. 53, 61, 64, because when you're really looking at it in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about the 53rd, 61st, and 64th best player in the entire draft. That should be a pretty good, like, out of those three, you're going to get a bona fide starter. Facts. They better, right? 53, 61, 64, you, there has to be a starter in there somewhere. So I like a skill position. Gosh, if a Jameer Gibbs could just fall down this 53. The problem is, or not the problem, there's no way. Okay, here's a better question for you. 312-644-6767. Do you think the Bears hold on to all three of those picks? 53-61-64. That they just stand pat and just that's it. You're going to see those guys get drafted to the Chicago Bears? Because I don't. I, I, I have, there is... From in my mind, 100% certainty that the Bears get rid of one of those. Some way, somehow. Either to move up into the second round. You know, maybe they give up their fourth round pick. Yeah, maybe give up a fourth. I don't, I don't even know. But something's going to, the fourth and the third, the second and the fourth to move up to the first, to move up to the, something like that is going to happen. But do you think that the Bears are going to stick with all three of those? 53 61 and 64 from the 815. Trade back from nine and grab an earlier second round pick. Yeah, I could see that. Obviously, you know, people are very high on some of these offensive tackles, and I can't I can't say it enough. You know, because we have a lot of repeatables on this show, on this station, right? Things that you can take with you, and you know, because I'm even on the text line, you could just see things that people are repeating that it, that they've heard in the last week or two, right? I mean, whether it's, you know, you know, the offensive lineman that uh, like uh, Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Uh, if it's somebody like that, it's th- these are repeatables. Well, here's something that you can repeat. Cole Kubelik, Anthony Heron and I had him on the show. Former offensive lineman in the SEC. Calls the SEC games. And, and. He votes on the best offensive lineman in the country. Listen to me. If you want repeatables, listen to what I am going to tell you. Cole Kubelik, not me, he told us that you can get in the second round someone that is comparable to the three names that you've heard all throughout the last couple of weeks. Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Peter Skaronsky. Are they better than the rest? Yes. But are they that much better than the rest? I didn't say it. Cole Kubelik did. A former offensive lineman at Auburn. 
a guy who calls SEC games, a guy who votes on the best offensive lineman in the country in college. He said it, not me. So when people get down on me or they try to come at me for saying, like, I don't want an offensive lineman at the number nine pick, I'm just going off what the actual experts are saying, that they are there are offensive linemen to be had that can make an impact that far down. So when you're looking for repeatables and you, you, you say this trade back from nine, yeah, you trade back from nine because the reality is there are other offensive linemen that can that can be as impactful. Not my words. Cole Kubelik. Go follow him too. He's a great follow, by the way. But I'm here for the trade back from number nine. Because you want to know who I'm who who, who I, I, I see, because then I don't mind the Bears getting a wide receiver at that point. Then I don't, but I I would love a guy like Nolan Smith. I would love a defensive lineman that can make a difference right there because you still want to impact player at, you know, pick 11, 12, whoever you're trading with, whether it's the Texans trying to jump up and grab a wide receiver because they think somebody else is going to snatch him early, or if it's trading with the Titans who want, you know, if, if Will Levis is still around. Let's take some phone calls, man. 312-644-6767. You know this is an interactive show. It's Gabe Ramirez, 670 to score. Let's go to Shane out in Elgin. So Shane, what you know? We, we there's so many things we've been talking about right here. What what, what do you want to harp on? No, I, I tell you what, Gabe, man, I, I love the conversation. I I'm not opposed to trading back as well. I mean, you know, but obviously you run risks there if you kind of got an LT tag, you know, and somebody else sneaks up. But my thoughts were, and you were starting to touch on it, is if the bear, you know, hey, you stay put at nine, and then if around that. 12 to 15, 15 to 20 range, the uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. I don't know much about him. I, I know Garrett Wilson was so high on him. You know, is he worth the Bears maybe trading uh, a future first, maybe that first they got from Carolina if they're so high up on him, and pair him with uh, D.J. Moore? You know, does it take or maybe the, the two, two second-round picks you have to try to trade up and, and get that, you know, an impact offensive lineman or defensive lineman at nine and then pair him with the first or second best wide receiver as well. Yeah. Thanks. Thoughts on that. Thanks for the call, Shane. I appreciate it. And you're talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, someone who, you know, was injured uh, majority of the season. Uh, and obviously, you know, played uh, with, you know, with some of these guys that, that, that uh, fields was throwing to. So, I mean, I get it, but I don't know if bears, Nah, I don't know. Bears will not give up their future first-round pick from Carolina to go get Jackson Smith and Jigba. But you just don't know where they're going to slide, you know? You still got Quentin Johnston out there. You still got Jordan Addison out there. You still got Zay Flowers out there. There's still wide receivers that are very good. And there's going to be a run on wide receivers. And it's going to happen in the teens. I want to be very clear. When you're looking at the NFL draft order uh, on April 27th, round one, and you get past Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles. Actually, when you get past the Tennessee Titans. So you got Bears at 9, Eagles at 10, Titans at 11. When you're looking at 12 through, I almost cursed, 12 through 22, every single team could use a wide receiver, starting with the Houston Texans. Clearly, they're going to sign or draft a, a quarterback at 2. So they obviously want someone to pair with him from the very early stages. You look at the Jets. They're always looking to improve their wide receiver room. The Patriots certainly need a wide receiver. The Packers, now that they're giving the keys to Jordan Love, definitely need that. The Commanders, the Steelers, the Lions, 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Seattle Seahawks, and of course the Los Angeles Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. So there's going to be a run on wide receivers in that window. So it depends on what how you know how much Ryan Poles is putting a value on that. But I see the Bears if they do move back into the first round or try to get secure that you know second round early second round pick. It's it's going to be in my mind. It's going to be for another guy that can operate in the trenches, whether that's the offensive line or defensive line. Because I think Ryan Poles is putting a premium on those positions and trying to literally tackle them from the very beginning. All right, it's Gabe Ramirez, 670 to score. Let's go back out to the phone lines. Let's go to Costa out in Skokie. Costa, what's good? Yeah, first time caller, really excited. Um, So, yeah, I want to talk about the draft. So, I think everything comes down to – if Poles gets his guy, especially with the nine pick too, like I'm a big guy in Paris. I want some Paris draft to go all in on Paris because the Justin Fields connection, the guy is just an absolute animal. Um, but who knows how the draft's going to follow, right? Let's say Peronsky, Paris, and Carter are all gone at nine. Does Poles stick around or just trade it back, right? Um, and I think the same thing with the second round picks. I think you are right. I don't think he's going to draft all three players now. I would love to because, like you said, Top, what four picks in the top sixty? Essentially, that would be fantastic. That's awesome, but, <laughs> right? But he he likes to pick up on draft picks. What he twice has ten or eleven this draft alone. So I think depending on how the draft falls, it's going to be. I think he might draft back to get more picks even for next year, possibly. Um, I just want to hear your thoughts about that. Costa, I love the call, man. Uh, shout out to everybody out there on the north side in Skokie. Um, I think what you said is something that I will repeat consistently leading up to the draft, and it is. If Poles gets his guy, that's the statement right there, Costa. If Poles gets his guy, they have a board. He mentioned it. They have their guys in tier one. And if they have their guy that's still there in tier one at number nine that they think highly of, then yes, that is where he's going. But if they don't and they have a couple guys pegged for that, you know, tier two space and they feel like they can manipulate the draft, listen, what we know is that Ryan Poles is not afraid to make moves. He is not afraid to move up. Because, listen, if you know Poles, from what from what you know of Poles already, let's say he does go ahead and, and get rid of the 60, because remember, they had that 53rd, 61st, 64th pick. If they were to go ahead and get rid of the 61st and the, the 103rd, the fourth round pick, right? Let's say if they they got rid of the, the the second round pick and the fourth round pick to move up in the you know early stages of the second round, then they'll take that pick 64 or pick 53 and trade it to somebody else for another fourth rounder for another third. Like that's what he'll do. He'll he likes to make up for what he lost, and he he's very good at doing that. And I think the Bears will continue to do uh, that as well. Uh, you know what? Let's take one more, man. Uh, let's go to Jeff. Uh, Jeff, we're going Jeff or Mac. Your call, Leo. Okay, Jeff in Geneva. So what? Uh, yeah, what, what's, what's let's I- talk about. Yeah, I'll just talk about all these guys. Okay, and and I've been watching the draft, and I, you know who's what and this that. Been hearing that for eight, ten, twelve years. All right, and every time we have good picks, we seem to blow them. Okay, because we're not getting the right picks. Like I said to your screener. We need somebody to protect screen, uh, protect fields. I don't care who it is. I don't want to hear what school they're from or how good they say they are. I want somebody that's legit, that's going to take and protect this kid because 
He's got a future with this team. He's an awesome quarterback. First time in my life in the last probably probably 15 years I could I have hope for the Bears. And the only reason I say that is because we have a chance to make up for past mistakes. You know, we got some good guys on the team now that can do running, they can do the, all the fullbacks, all the linemen, but the problem is we can't and I don't care about the defense as more as, as much as I do the offense. If we could put the numbers on the board, and then maybe we could figure out next year how to adjust the defense. You see what I'm saying? Everybody's focusing on stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at it different, but I'm just tired of seeing good quarterbacks go down the hole. I hear you, Jeff. Thanks for the call. And I think that you know, you're bringing up a really basic fundamental. We have a quarterback that's good. I don't care if it's not a sexy pick at number nine. Take the best offensive lineman so that the quarterback that is very good can be protected better than he was last year. It's fundamental. It's simple. Makes sense. I get it. The problem is, or not the problem, but the issue is, you have a a general manager that is a former offensive lineman. And how he values that position or those players in particular is just going to be different than we do. He's going to see it differently. And again, I am going to be waiting on the edge of my seat to see how he tackles this upcoming draft. It's going to be a fun one. All right. It's Gabe Ramirez, 670 to score. We're going to switch gears a little bit and head back over to the south side. Ah, I'm so glad I didn't go to that game today. I almost went. I, I was literally, I was like, I'm going to take the kids. I watched the kids, you know, during the day on Thursdays. And I was like, I'm going to take the kids. Of course, I want to bring a three-year-old and a one-year-old to a beautiful 53-degree April game where they're going to be crying, but it's not going to matter because the Sox are going to win. Quite the opposite happened. Quite the opposite happened. All right, but uh, we get to talk to Scott Merkin on the other side. Of course, the White Sox beat writer for MLB.com, and of course, he's filled with opinions. What does he have to say about uh, this, this series loss versus the San Francisco Giants? And, you know, what does he think about April baseball? Is there anything, any weight to put in on these games, win or lose? I'll talk to Scott after the break. It's Gabe Ramirez right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That ball is absolutely vaporized. I mean, destructive. Two-run home run, Yastrzemski. We're back. Live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. I love that that's what Leo Stoddard, our producer, decided to, to play right out of the break. Because that's exact, That was the exact feeling that everyone had watching this game. Because it just got worse as the day went on. I mean, from the very first inning, things were bad, but it just seemed to get worse. And it just reminded you that the White Sox still have a long way to go. Uh, and we're, that's what we're talking about right now. Joining us right now on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He is the White Sox beat writer for MLB.com, good friend of the station, Scott Merkin. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing, Gabe? Hanging in there. You know me. I'm, I'm emotionally invested into my teams personally, White Sox being one of them. So when I see a game like this, and this is the first question I want to ask you, you know, how much weight do you put into, you know, these early games in the season? Because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, every game matters, and which they do, which it does. But it's still April baseball, and you, the assumption is that things are going to change, the team's going to change. Uh, that, that, those are, that's my thoughts. What are yours when it comes to these these early games in the season? 
Well, I've had this argument with people before where, you know, it's not like they give a half a point to an April win and two <laughs> points to a September win. And that's, that's people who argue against me because I, I say that I, I think, you know, Pedro Grafal had a good talk about it afterwards where, you know, you don't want to lose any game. But today you realize you're going to lose, so you got to kind of wear it and get through so you don't lose three or four games because you lose, you lost today. And for those who say, well, April baseball is every bit as important as September, I, I hear you. I, they all count the same. But, you know, ask the 2003 Marlins, who started off 15 and 30 or somewhere around there, changed their manager midseason and won the World Series. Ask the Astros, who played the White Sox in 05 in the World Series, I believe started the same way. Ask the Nationals, right, who were 19 and 30, the year they won the World Series title. So I really do believe it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But again, I don't even know if how you finish matters that much. I think you just got to find a way to get to the playoffs, go from there, right? I mean, I remember the year in 06, the Sox were ridiculously good at the offset break. The Tigers were even better. Tigers were great all year. I think they got swept at home in the last series of the year by a really bad Kansas City team. Minnesota, who finished like 36-10 and 10 in that, that season, took two out of three from the Sox with Johan Santana, who beat the Sox like 800 times in his career. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the Twins won the division. And everyone's like, oh, the Tigers are done. They have no momentum. They lost the division. They lost three in a row last weekend. They lost the first game of the playoffs to the Yankees in not a great loss, and they ended up going to the World Series and probably would have won if not for just horrible defense by their pitchers that entire series. So, again, you never know. So I guess, you know, bottom line is, is as Pedro said today, every game is important, but sometimes, as Kenny Rogers once saying, you got to know when to hold them and know when to hold them, right? And and that's how they kind of operated today. You know, Gregory Santos went two innings. Um, you know, Jose Ruiz pitched an inning in two-third. They brought Hanser Alberto, who, by the way, holds the single-season record for position player pitching. He said it with the Dodgers last year. He was in 10 games last year. Oh, my God. Uh, in his second game of the series, becoming the first, White Sox position player to ever do that, pitch two games in a series, because it was it was a rout. You know, I mean, and look what the Giants did. The Giants were up 16-3 to three in the ninth and pitched, their, pitched Matt Beatty as an outfielder, right? Because, again, why waste a pitcher if you can get by with, you know, a position player? And even if you give up a few runs, I don't think he's going to really care much about his ERA in the long run. Yeah, Hanzo Alberto, when, you, when I saw him pitch the other day, I thought to myself, okay, and I actually, uh, for, I'm a sick individual. I actually watched, it, just watched every single pitch, and I was like, all right, how, how fast is he going to get it up there? Is, is there going to be any movement on this stuff? Just watching it from a f- totally different perspective. <laughs> Excuse me. And then when you see him come in today, you're just like, ah, oh, I didn't, do not want this to be a regular thing where I'm watching Hanzo yeah, Alberto pitch. I think today was the day that I pitched three days ago type of pitching. You know, I think he was just <laughs> he was just lobbing things up there and trying to get three outs and trying to limit the damage and. Uh, J.D. Davis hit a long, long home run for a grand slam. They had two grand. You know, I didn't. I should have counted this up. I didn't count how many different guys homered. They had 13 total. They had five off Kopech, three off Lancelin, three off Jose Ruiz, one off Cease, and one off uh, Hanser Alberto. But I, I don't remember how many total homered. But there were quite a few. There quite were, a few. It wasn't like one guy hit six in the series. You know, they. They spread it out pretty well. So when I saw it was a, Blake Sable go, it was the destruction of a series. But I mean, they still did win one game, which is something to remember. Yeah, and of course, with with their ace, and that's what we were hoping for. But you know, a lot of people thought Lance Lynn, or either or. When you're looking at the bookends of the series, you know what? What I guess what outing was more surprising to you was it the the Michael Kopech, where you know he gave up more earned runs than he had all last season. Or is it the Lance Lynn kind of where we thought he was in midseason form and then he kind of came out and looked like he was in last season form when he started the year? Yeah, I, I think it's it's almost 
too early to say anything surprised me because, you know, Dylan Cease had a couple of starts last year where he got routed and he finished with a fairly above two ERA. You know, I'm sure Greg Maddox in his heyday had a few starts that went awry. And uh, I just think it was a bad, you know, Lance Lynn said he was bad today. He didn't sugarcoat it. Lance, Lance is a man of, uh, he's not very verbose post game, but he, he does, he is quotable. He gets right to the point. And he just said, you know, it was a poor effort he made, but you know, he, every mistake they made, he made, they took advantage of, and they've got to be better. And he knows they can be better. So I, I think the Kopech one, if you had to pick a surprise out of these two, might've been just because he had a good first inning. You know, he threw a real nice change up for the last out of that inning to get a strikeout and he looked good. And then it just kind of went sideways. And especially in that fifth where they hit a, uh, four solo homer. They went back to back and out and then back to back again. So, you know, I, I've seen him the last couple of days. I've just talked briefly with him, not on the record and he seems in good spirits. So I think they all look at this as, you know, this is one of what they hope is 32, 33 starts. And then maybe another few in the postseason. So I think it's just gotta be, you know, if we're talking nine or 10 starts in and Lance Lynn and Michael Kopech are still looking along these lines, I don't think they're going to give up, you know, yeah. eight runs or seven runs every time they go out to the mound, but still struggling. Then you maybe say, okay, what's going on? But it's, it's one start, you know, and, and I know you can't, you can't go too long with saying that we heard that a lot last year and ended up, you know, not going to the playoffs and finishing 500. But I really do think in this case, it's seven games into a, 162 game season and one two starts for Lance Lynn and one for Michael Kopech. Yeah, because I was looking at the Kopech thing. That's the, the only reason I knew that it was more earned runs than he'd given up all last season is just because I thought to myself, I was like, this just doesn't seem like a Michael Kopech outing. And then so I went back and looked at last year, and the most he'd given up was six runs. And so then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is some outlier. I was like, I don't expect it to be, you know, that consistent. They're going up against a scrappy San Fran team who just, you know, just lost a series to the Yankees. So. I felt like they were coming in with a little extra chip on their shoulder as well. So it seemed like an anomaly. But, you know, that's why I was curious what, what your thoughts were. Another picture that I that I was watching closely is Jose Ruiz. His last outing, I felt like, and I know you watched it closely, the first batter with the drop third strike from Grandal, I feel like he really threw off his psyche for the rest of the inning where he thought, you know, he sure he dies because you know, he ended up walking that guy after the drop third strike and then, you know, opening the floodgates in that situation. Do you – do you look at Jose Ruiz as like a high leverage, you know, like extremely important piece for the Chicago White Sox, or do you see him as like a stopgap, a guy that's just kind of there to eat up an inning, you know, in the back half of the bullpen? Well, we all kind of wrote about his ascension in the World Baseball Classic, and let's face it, he was really good in the World Baseball Classic. You know, when he pitched for uh, Venezuela, you know, I think he, I believe he struck out Mike Trout. I know he struck out Tim Anderson in the game. I mean, he talked about how great he felt, and he came into camp in good shape, and and just. Looked like his stuff was a little crisper, and then he's just not been great since the start of the season. And again, you know, I, I really thought he could be an X factor in that bullpen, especially with Liam Hendricks coming back from, you know, the non Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment and Garrett Crochet probably not back until, you know, they're hoping mid May. I thought, well, this is a guy who can kind of pick up the slack a little bit. He's been used mainly, he's been successful in his career, mainly in mid to low leverage situations. But I thought, okay, they can employ him in some higher ones, maybe tie games or, you know, they need an out or two in the eighth inning, and it just hasn't happened so far. So, again, it's just a couple outings for him. But, you know, I, I think they, I think more was expected even in a small amount after as good as he looked in that World Baseball Classic for Venezuela. Yeah, I, I hope he could bounce back. I mean, because he's somebody that I think, you know, can pitch well and should be uh, a key component in the in the uh, White Sox. I, I think everyone can bounce back. I, I don't remember it, it was the year that Andre – I'm really dating myself now. The year that Andre Dawson signed kind of the blank check with the Cubs – and said, just bring me in. I think he started, he like through April, 
he hit like 190, and I believe he won the MVP that year, right? And hit 49 okay. home runs. So, I love that. You know, a- a- anyone can bounce back. But let's not, you know, I mean, I'm just saying right now, Jose Ruiz has not looked like the guy that was pitching in for Venezuela. But you know what? He may his he may pitch as being at Pittsburgh and start a, a string of ten straight scores outings for all we know. And that that's why you can't. You know, I think Rick said it. Rick Hahn said it well the other day. He talked before the series began and saying, you know, analyzing what the Sox and like now right now is like analyzing a football season in the first quarter of the first game of the season. I, I would even say <laughs> I love that. maybe even the first maybe even the first play of the yeah. first quarter of the first game of the season. You know, yeah. I mean because. There's just so much to go. I mean, you could literally be, as I said, 15 and 30 and win the World Series. So, I mean, you don't want to do that. You don't want to dig yourself that kind of hole. But anyone who's struggling right now, certainly. And, you know, again, it, it goes the other way, too. You know, Moncada looks completely locked in. Robert, the same thing. They're going to go through their funks, too. You know, yeah. so it's just all part of a really long baseball season. He's Scott Merkin from MLB.com. I'm Gabe Ramirez. This is 670 The Score. Uh, what are your thoughts on? I mean, I, I have been I've been calling for Reynaldo Lopez to be given the, the the ball in the ninth, even from last season. I I felt like I'm like, all right, well, if he's not going to go back to being a starter, you know, he has the stuff to where you can come in and you know really be a problem for you in the ninth inning. So I'm right. glad, I'm glad that Griffol gave him the opportunity this year. Was that your pick to you know to get the majority of the opportunities uh, this season in the ninth? Yeah, I think as Pedro described it, he's going to probably be like the highest leverage reliever until Liam comes back. You know, I think he's, you saw him get the save against Houston. You saw him strike out, was it Jack Peterson, I think, with the bases loaded in the second game. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the seventh inning, you know, to, to get them out of the toughest spot. And I think that's his role. I, I get a kick out of him. He's, he's a good dude. He's very low-key, very soft-spoken. I thought it was funny that he... He after the game against Houston, you know, you have that long home run to Jordan Alvarez. Although let's face it, who doesn't give up long home runs right. to Jordan Alvarez, right? And uh, it's like a mountain with arms watching him play out there. <laughs> and he left the mountain, screamed into his glove, and then started walking towards the dugout. And yes, finally, Grandal said, "Hey, dude, the game's over. You know, we won. Let's go." <laughs> yeah. So I think he was so locked in that he forgot. But he, he's a really, really, you know, good kid. And I think he's very driven to be a successful late inning reliever. Now, let's let's be honest again. When Liam comes back, whenever that is, and no one knows the timeline yet, but everything is, thank God, very positive and moving forward, you know, he'll be the closer, assuming he can handle that role. And I'm sure Liam is you know, ready to probably close tomorrow if they let him have the chance. But Lopez will still be one of the key guys, along with Graveman and Bummer, in those late-inning situations. Yeah, and I can't wait for Liam to be back. I can't wait for the, the, the consistency. I'm a big fan of consistency in those. I remember, you know, even like in, in 05, you know, you had the guys – you know, that were coming in the 7th, 8th, ninth. You knew who it was. You knew what it was going to be. Teams knew it. And you still went and mowed them down. And so I'm looking forward to just kind of shoring that thing up and, you know, towards the middle, latter half of the season so that that way, you know, the Sox can, can, can be in that position. Let's, let's look at – I think when Liam, when Liam comes back and makes that first outing at Guaranteed Rate Field, it'll be a pop like Stone Cold Steve Austin in his heyday. Oh, you yeah. know, it's going to just be insane, and rightfully so. What a, what a just an uplifting, great story for both him and his wife, Christy, that – you know, they they went through a very shocking, tough time, and it looks like they've come out the other side in, in, in good steed. So just, you know, best wishes and, and great thoughts for, you know, the way they're going right now. Absolutely, and I love what the White Sox have been doing as well, just partnering with the, with the Hendricks family just to get right. the word out, right. raise money, and do everything that they can, and just, you know, obviously being a supportive partner in that instance. So. Well, for, for people who don't know, and they probably do at this point, you know, uh, Liam and his wife, since the, literally, the day, I'm not even exaggerating, since the day they've arrived, have been giving back to Chicago and the surrounding areas. So, you know, there is a little something to be said for 
for karma. I think that, you know, people know the good people out there. And again, I guess, you know, he, he had to go through a tough situation, but yeah, I think it's, I think they're working with him as much as he's worked with them and it's, they're great people. And it's just, it, it's, it was sad to see this happen, but it was uplifting. You know, we didn't, he, we didn't talk a lot to him in spring training. We said hi, and he walked by with his mask on in the clubhouse. But I mean, the guy was throwing bullpens. The guy was throwing, you know, long toss. And, you know, it's interesting. I talked to a uh, Jameson Tyon, at Cubs convention this year, and he he beat testicular cancer. Hmm. And he said at that point, there really is no game plan. He said, you know, if you feel good, throw. If you don't, then don't. And I think that's kind of what Liam followed, you know, just from what I could see from the outside during spring training, that, you know, when he was when he was healthy enough after the treatment, he'd come in and do it. And when he wasn't, he just wouldn't come in. So that's, you know, that's how it kind of yeah. worked. Wow, I didn't know that about Jameson Tyon. That's awesome. Thanks for uh, sharing, sharing that. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Uh, we're talking to Scott Merkin right here on 670 The Score, Gabe Ramirez. Now, you know, when you're looking at this roster uh, of, of the Chicago White Sox, you know, when you're looking at not the top half of it, you know, in terms of talent, when you're looking at the guys that are, you know, scrapping to get on or make a name for themselves or guys that are looking to reignite their careers, two people that I – or one person that I love in particular is Jake Berger. I, I've loved him since the moment he, he, you know, was with the White Sox, and, and I've always just wanted him to be healthy enough to to showcase his talents. And then he comes in today, hits the rocket um, – Obviously, it was sad news to see Eloy Jimenez hit the ten-day uh, deal, uh, but 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 still happy news for Jake, a guy like Jake Berger, to be able to get another opportunity. Yeah, I'll share this story at a wedding years ago. I was sitting next to Ricky Renteria, and he we were talking about the team, and he told me that Jake Berger, the ball coming off his bat, sounded like Kyle Schwarber, like mm-hmm. the ball coming off his bat. So Jake Berger can flat out hit. That has been proven. We know that. I think those who scouted him, those who drafted him, knew that would be the case. You know, he's now kind of added first base to his repertoire, so he can play first base, third base, even tried a little second last year. But, you know, he's going to be splitting DH time with Gavin Sheets. But I think the same can be said for Gavin Sheets. Gavin Sheets has that game-changing power that you really can't teach, right, that is just innate. And both those guys add to a team. But, yeah, I'd be really interested. I'm not sure if it's going to happen with the White Sox. I guess it depends on injuries or trades down the line. But I'd be really interested to see what Jake Berger's numbers are if you gave him 520 at-bats in a season, or even more than that. You know, would he hit 30 home runs? Would he hit 35? I mean, he's he's got that kind of Schwarber power that I think he could do that. He's a really good pure hitter up there. So there's no no chance he gets out to the to the outfield, like in right, to, instead of like no, a Roman no, no, Gonzalez? No, no, no. I, I think this is the best outfield defense I can remember in a long time for the White Sox, you know, with Ben Attendee in left and Robert in center and Oscar Colas in right. And, you know, Kudos to Gavin Sheets, who kind of learned outfield, I think, to kind of add on to his repertoire to, to make a roster. And then Andrew Vaughn, who was kind of thrown out into the outfield because of <laughs> William Jimenez hurt himself in spring training. But they're better off with the three they have in the outfield without trying to kind of force anything. Of Now, again, God forbid someone gets hurt or a couple people get hurt. You never know. But I, I, I don't think Jake's done any work in the outfield. So I think, you know, and it'd be more likely... He goes to second, and that would be very unlikely. So I think it's third, first, and DH for him. Well, hopefully you can uh, try to make a, an impact while he's here. Scott, I appreciate you giving me your time this evening, man. You know I love talking to you about these White Sox. You know, it was an honor to follow an hour later Joe Colley. I, I've been reading him since I was in junior high. So Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We were on the same beat. We were on the White Sox beat for a number of years together, and great guy. Had a lot, a lot of, a lot of stories that can't be told from those years. But it was, uh, it was a good time. Well, when we're when we're drinking beer, Scott, I'll, I'll pull them out of you. I'm, I'm sure, sure. Yeah, there's nothing horrible. Just can't tell them on the radio. Understood. Scott, have a good All night, right, man. Thanks for talking to me. Take care. Of course, Bye. Scott Merkin, one of the best to do it, hanging out with me here on six seventy. The score. Make sure you guys follow him at Scott Merkin. M E R K I N. If you're a Sox fan, he's a must follow.
Uh, we didn't even get into a ton of other stuff like Tim Anderson and his money, but it's a long season. So we'll get an opportunity to do that a little bit later. All right. So I am out of here at nine o'clock. Got one more segment. We're going to go ahead and do Twitter time. You know, if I'm on the radio, we got to have a little fun. That's just a must have. All right. So uh, what's happening in the world of sports on Twitter and some uh, pop culture sprinkled in? We'll do Twitter time on the other side. Make sure you're here for it. It's Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. Well, what do you know? I got an admirer. You spend so much time on Twitter, you're not enjoying the better things in life. All those idiots on Twitter. It's Twitter time with Gabe Ramirez. I only know one to know one thing. Can you cuss on Twitter? I'd give a rat's ass about Twitter. To be brutally honest, I'm not a Twitter guy. Let's scroll through some tweets. Chirp, chirp. Gabe Ramirez right here on 670 to score. About to get up out of here, but of course we get to do a little Twitter time before just that. BetMGM tonight coming up next at 9 o'clock. Uh, but Twitter time is essentially just, you know, an opportunity to talk about some of the sports stories that uh, happened today uh, in a more fun way, in a more uh, consumable way. And then we get to throw in some uh, pop culture in there as well. All right. Uh, so first up, this from NFL Rumors. It's got a blue check mark, so it must be verified, right? That's what they're saying now. Uh, it says, Texas Texas's Bijan Robinson is currently... B- projected to be the first running back selected and the only running back taken in the first round this year. Several teams have looked at the prospect of picking Robinson, such as the Cowboys, the Bills, the Eagles, and the Patriots. Some I read an article today. Somebody said that he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Surefire gold jacket. That's what they said. Now, I can't say it enough. I did a college football gambling show on BetQL, our sister station, you would call it, here on 670 The Score. So, I watched a lot of college football this year. And every time I would watch Texas, and this is before B. John Robinson's name was all in the mix, I would always just be like, yo, that guy is good. He passes my eye test. That dude's good. So then when like it started coming out, they're like, oh, the Chiefs might take him in the latter half. The Eagles might get him. I'm like, bro, the NFL has to stop the Eagles the, pay, uh, the Eagles, the, the Chiefs, and the Bills from getting B. John Robinson. He's that good. But if you, but if the whole NFL isn't valuing running backs the same way, then you're allowing the better teams in the league to take the best running back. And that's a position that all three teams are weak at. Anyway, it just gets me riled up every time I hear about it. Again, Jameer Gibbs, that's who I'm big on. So if the Bears end up snatching him in the second round, I'd be super stoked about that. Chirp, chirp. Uh, this is from Panthers on Tap on Twitter. It says, uh, it's basically quoting a bunch of uh, draft experts. Uh, Tony Pauline says, everyone in the building is leaning C.J. Stroud, but if it was Frank Reich's choice, it would be Anthony Richardson. Chris Mortensen says, Bryce Young is the pick. They all love him. And Peter King says, Bryce Young has a lot of fans inside the Panthers. Three weeks left of this. I think the Panthers are taking C.J. Stroud. I don't think that they're going to be able to justify a five foot ten, you know, buck ninety seven, soaking wet quarterback. Can will he be good? Yeah, but do they want to go through all of that? No, they'd rather just take C.J. Stroud and say, "Hey, this is our guy, and this is who it's going to be, and this is who we want to take at number one." And fortunately, they traded away a bunch of stuff in order to have that decision. So, April twenty seventh, we shall find out. 
This from Showtime Boxing. It says, No Days Off, Episode 2 of All Access. Davis Garcia airs tomorrow at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. You a boxing fan, Leo? Not really. Not really? I like yeah. the Rocky movies, but that's okay. the extent of boxing. <laughs> Fair enough. Creed's out now. I don't know if, if you know that. That's like an extension. Too, right? Yeah. Uh, Ryan Garcia seems like he's growing up in front of our eyes where he's like getting this grown man strength, turning into a man where we saw him like on social media kind of uh, having that meteoric rise. But Javante Davis, man, he's nothing to play around with. So I can't wait to watch that fight. And I love All Access because you get really do get an insight into this, these guys' training camps and, and when they talk trash to each other. So uh, make sure you guys are looking out for that one. Chirp, chirp. Uh, this from M or McCauley318. It says, speaking of being young, Leo, Freak Nick documentary, blessed to all those who are caught on film. Okay, when I say Freak Nick, Leo, what does that mean to you? I have no idea. God, I wish Lawrence Holmes was here during this this very moment. I wish Lawrence Holmes was here for this Freak Nick conversation. So Freak Nick was basically like softcore porn on Cinemax. Oh, wow. Before there was Pornhub. Wow. Right. So it was like a Freak Nick, like a little party in Atlanta that everybody would go to. But you went down every year and it was, you know, to get freaky. Yeah, for sure. But there's a documentary coming out about it. Very cool. No. No, not if you're in the documentary. Right, that, that's that's, the, yeah. that's why he said bless to all those who were caught on film. Real quick, I know I got a couple minutes. If if you know what Freak Nick is, <laughs> you had a little chuckle there, I'd love to just hear you text in 312-644-6767. All right, uh, next up. Chirp, chirp. This from Pop Bass. It says Kim Petras and Pop Culture for you. Kim Petras announced a new single called Alone featuring Nicki Minaj coming out Friday, April 21st. There's a really popular song. You've heard it. It's called Unholy. Sam Smith. And then Kim Petras is the other one that's on it. And now she's branching off to have her own single. In this. Anyways, if you know, you know. If you don't, then we'll just go back to sports. All right. Chirp, chirp. This is from Excellent MMA on Twitter. It says, Dana White explains why Kobe Covington deserves a title shot in front of George Masvidal. Of course, Masvidal's taking on someone. And, and the assumption is that the winner of that would get the title shot. But Kobe Covington just keeps getting... He keeps having the ability to leapfrog people. So people are like, yo, Dana, does he have something on you that you keep giving him these, uh, this opportunity? And, of course, if you heard WWE and the UFC have merged, did you hear that? Forming a company, $21.4 billion. Clearly there's going to be some crossover where some guys from the UFC are going to be, you know, taking part in WWE antics. So that I don't, I'm not a fan of WWE, um, but I, I, I love athleticism. I love athletes and they definitely have that over there in spades so i just can't wait to see what the first thing they do there um all right let's see i'm trying to think i only got a couple left all right uh new product alert hershey's cream cheese flavored baking chips my my wife has been making cookies a lot with my daughters and she puts these chocolate chips in there that i do not like and so i saw this and i thought oh hershey's cream cheese morsels is this because is I'm fat? Is that what it is, Leo? I'm, I'm, I only like it because I'm fat? All right, whatever. Wrap it up. There goes your Twitter time, ladies and gentlemen. Right here on 670. The score. All right, hit me my, give me with my uh, closing music. I like that. That makes me feel good. I got some. All right, not this one, but <laughs> I'm just joking. All right, got to say thank you to my guest today, Joe Cowley from the Sun-Times. Scott Merkin hanging out, talking some White Sox baseball. Two incredible guests. Great job. Leo Stoddard from the 773 said I went to Freak Nick in 94 off the chain 
sir, are you still taking your Herbie's pills? Just, I'm just messing with you on this thing. Uh, big shout out to Leo Stoddard. Did a fantastic job today producing. You get better every time, man. I love working with you. All right, mi gente, that means my people. Hasta la próxima. That means until next time, which will be tomorrow, 6 o'clock, leading you into that Bulls-Dallas Mavericks game. So make sure you're here tomorrow at 6 o'clock to hang out with me. All right, I am Gabe Ramirez, and this is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score.